On this episode, the Enterprise encounters bottomless pits and topless fembots, Captain Kirk programs an android to be slightly more racist than he is, and Killing Red Shirts starts trending. Two down with many, many more to go. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard, take a station, and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. This week we're going to be discussing What Are Little Girls Made Of? The seventh episode on season one. Uh, first aired October 20th of 1966. This episode was written by Robert Block, um, who passed away in 1994. Block wrote a lot of television, but he's probably most well known for being the author of the novel Psycho, the uh, basis for the movie. He actually wrote over 30 novels total. Um, he was a protege of H.P. Lovecraft, and he actually wrote three Star Trek stories. He wrote this one, uh, Cat's Paw, which we have covered in an earlier episode of this show called The Halloween uh, Halloween one. And A Wolf in the Fold, which when that one comes, that's another one of my favorites. Um, now, when you say he was a protege of H.P. Lovecraft, like he just really liked his stuff or did their lives cross? That's not possible, he right? wrote He wrote a letter to Lovecraft when he was a aspiring author um, and actually got correspondence back and they corresponded through much of their lives. Um, he drew a lot of inspiration from Lovecraft, a lot of the space horror genre um, and uh uh, so they actually conversed a lot and he considered uh, Lovecraft to be really his mentor. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, it's interesting that he didn't bring so much racism in here. <laughs> in fact, I, there are little things in this episode. that are kind of like nods to HP Lovecraft, which we'll mention, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm taking a lot of that for words because I'm not very well versed in HP Lovecraft. So a lot of the stuff would go purely over my head. If somebody didn't point it out to me, that's fair. Um, I also was kind of blown away to find out that he, he was the author of psycho. I had no idea that was the same guy. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, really interesting that, uh, um, but again, it kind of shows on uh, the early star Trek, uh, the original series, the level of writers they were getting in this first season were just, I mean, really, really surprisingly high level, uh, science fiction writers. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think it says a lot that they had to work so hard to just keep people's attention and they had to come up with some really engrossing stories. And, you know, if you strip away a lot of what is just crazy about production value and crazy about the things that they had to do to stay on television, the stories really are fantastic. I mean, the ideas behind them are awesome. Yes. yes this I'm is so ahead of its time thinking about you know, what really makes a human, what really, you know, if, if we had fully human like, uh, androids available, what would we do with those? And so it's another one of those things that, uh, despite the fact that you have such a great writer though, guess what happened to this episode? Wait, Robert so Black wrote it. And then what happened? Well, they brought in a novelist to write a script. So I'm going to go <laughs> with, it didn't go well, at least not fast enough. And our good buddy Gene decided to slap his name on it. 
Gene rewrote it is becoming pretty much as much of a cliche in Star Trek as, and then the guy in the red shirt died. Right. (laughs) He just could not help himself. And I've actually watched a a couple of things recently where writers who worked on the show said that exact thing. He couldn't help himself. He just could not help himself. We're going to have to put that on uh, uh, series one bingo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gene rewrote it. Center gets a square. Now, this episode was directed by uh, James Goldstone, um, who is a returning director. He directed Where No Man Has Gone Before, which was, of course, the second pilot. And he was brought in to uh, direct this episode um, because the production staff really, really liked the work he did on uh, on the second pilot. However, because of script rewrites constantly happening, uh, this shoot went a couple of days over schedule and many people think for that reason even though it really wasn't his fault goldstone never worked on another uh star trek episode again man for two days over i that blows me away because they it, it really puts it into perspective just how cheaply they were trying to film everything back then oh yes i mean some of this stuff the the amount of things that these guys ended up getting in trouble for is ridiculous and uh, Desilu is taking a uh, is taking a loss on every one of these episodes. They're ponying up a good amount of money and taking a loss on on every one of these episodes because Lucy wanted TV that would be in reruns, and that was really what she was looking at. Get this, get the network to give me enough money to produce a show, produce a show that I'll be able to put in syndication. That is crazy. Which um, really would have worked, unfortunately. Um, Unfortunately, the whole thing kind of fell apart in in general, and uh, she had to sell out to to Paramount. Well, I I, I don't have good things to say about that. Um, it's a thing that happened. That's all. It's a thing. So the basic storyline here is that the Enterprise is going to go to XO three in search of a lost archaeological expedition led by Nurse Chapel's ex-fiance, Dr. Roger Corby. <laughs> so Kirk beams down. He uh, gets taken hostage, loses his security guys, and um, a little bit of, or a couple of androids are going to try to convince the captain that the right way to do things is to replace all humans with androids. <laughs> That's really great. Let's do that. <laughs> do you want Cylons? Because this is how you get Cylons. Amen, brother. <laughs> 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 so this is the uh, the only episode that that really put Christine Chapel up front, which was awesome. Uh, she, you know what? She's not bad. She actually was pretty good. Um, you, you know, she's taken a, a a bit of a beating in the past <laughs> for being the 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 showrunner's girlfriend and and all this stuff, but she actually did a pretty good job. She delivered. Right. It wasn't, she didn't mail it in. She always came in and she always delivered whether it was in this, uh, uh, Star Trek or next generation, deep space nine. She always came in. She always gave her best. Now I have to admit, I had a slap my forehead moment reading this next bit. Um, so (laughs) she's played by Majel Barrett. Um, also in this show, we've got Ruck who is the alien android who's a giant played by Ted Cassidy, who listeners will know is Lurch on the Adams family in the sixties. 
Well, fast forward to Star Trek The Next Generation, Majel Barrett plays uh, Luaxana Troy, uh, Deanna Troy's mother. And it's, it is a funny character. It, it was always there to just be fun. She has her personal valet who is played or named Mr. Hom, who is played by Carol Strucken, who played Lurch in the Adams family in 1991. <laughs> it's kind of one of those Lincoln had a, a secretary named, uh, right. Kennedy and Kennedy had a, it's kind of, kind of one of those things. It's totally cool. I, I seriously, I was reading this fact and I, and the more I reading it, the more I'm like, I am stupid. I cannot believe I never <laughs> put those two together. It's fantastic. Anyway, so this start, this takes place in star date two, seven, one, two point four. You know, I'm going to have to find on the internet, somebody's chart of things that happened by star dates. Cause I can swear we're jumping around a lot on these shows. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I guarantee you, we are, we've already talked about the fact that, that other writers and Gene thought it was funny to throw these star dates in there. So <laughs> What are you going to do? It wasn't until next gen that they really started taking it seriously in the show Bible. See, and it adds something that the, that fans of the show can, you know, show off their knowledge when it comes on. So he's, Oh, this is such and such season, such and such episode because they hear the start date and it tells them all that stuff. Exactly. And then their friend can be on the couch next to them and go, well, actually (laughs) let's be honest. That's what we all do. (laughs) I have no idea what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) So we open on the bridge where we only, there's a bunch of nobodies in in yellow shirts and then Kirk and Chapel. That's it. I have no idea who any of these guys are on the bridge other than those two in this opening shot. Um, And they are going to the planet. They are going to the planet and... Kirk is mentioning to Chapel, you know, hey, we're going to go try to find your boyfriend. Um, Now, the interesting thing about this is that in this episode, they're going Chapel. It's Chapel's ex-fiance and and the Starfleet vehicle is going out there to take a look, see if they can find any sign of the disappeared great scientist Roger Corby. The original Robert Block script it was written that it was a rich woman who had hired the enterprise to find her scientist boyfriend who had disappeared on a planet. This was part of the thing that Roddenberry had to rewrite because um, you, we don't have money and you don't hire starships. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> we don't have money unless it suits my story rewrite. <laughs> Hey, have you guys ever heard of these guys, the Ferengi? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so uh, then we get, we actually get a shot and we do see that, hey, Spock and Uhura did show up for work as well, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> now, uh, one of the other things that, that I found interesting about this rewrite is that it was originally supposed to be a rich woman who commandeers the Enterprise so that she can go run an errand. Which is exactly what Luoxana Troy did every time she got on the Enterprise D. <laughs> oh my God, you have a really good point. Right? She commandeers the entire ship. She needs a ride. <laughs> anyway, I, I, there's, there's a lot of interesting corollaries that just keep popping up. <laughs> I don't know so, where I got that idea, Genia. I don't know where I heard that idea. It sounds really good. Right? <laughs> I like the idea that, that Gene was flipping through script ideas during next gen. And he's like, 
oh, I got this really cool one before the rewrite. Wow, that sounds awesome. So Spock pulls up slides to describe XO3. Now, I honestly, I can't tell if I really, really like this or if I really hate it. But every time they pull up a slide, you can see like dust motes and little hairs and stuff (laughs) on the slides of like overlaid on top of whatever spacey thing they're looking at. (laughs) And it always looks like it came from world book. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And it's, it's all hand drawn and it's all, sometimes they're, they're hand painted and the paint's real bad. (laughs) This one I thought was even cooler though, because they showed the overlay and they clearly didn't have a lot of time for pre-production because this one, the hairs and dust motes and all that was over the entire screen. Like <laughs> Spock was behind it. And I was like, hold on a sec. Is this a slide of Spock showing slides to Kirk? Because that's cool. <laughs> it was pretty awesome, though. <laughs> so it was very distracting. Before anybody else. I know, right? <laughs> oh, jeez Louise. <laughs> So it, it turns out that their sun is slowly fading. Yeah, it's a planet. The sun's been slowly fading, and and Corby went there to go study some sort of civilization that used to live there. Now we want, they're trying to establish that Corby is like this super brain. So uh, uh, Kirk and Spock are kind of talking about him, and they refer to him as the past year of archaeological medicine. And then they mentioned that, yeah, he, he translated these medical uh, scripts from Orion and it revolutionized the way we do immunization. And I'm thinking that doesn't really make him a pasteur. That makes him more like a, like a, uh, uh, Bouchard, the guy who, who found the Rosetta stone. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, it doesn't sound like Roger did anything other than, Hey, look, I found some information. I decided, right? Hey guys, I looked at this stuff. Yeah. It it didn't seem like that's really a pastor type thing, but that's a very small thing. I just thought it was an odd, an odd phrasing of the pasture of archeological medicine. You know, in this first season, there's a lot of really weird broken references like that (laughs) where they're like, Oh, it's just like this thing. Like when, uh, Oh, what was it? Was it Kirk talking about cows or something? <laughs> uh, it was the uh, in the man trap, the guy talking about uh, the buffalo. The buffalo, that's right. The, the buffalo. <laughs> that used to be all like, over the place. Now there's right? none of them. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, dude. What are you doing? And uh, Pasteur is the same way. This is a guy who died, what, 70 years before the show was made. His discoveries, uh, what, in the 1840s? 1850s were when he was making discoveries. So a good hundred years before this show was produced. And these guys are quoting him as like the preeminent idea of a scientist 400 years after that. (laughs) Nobody else has done anything since then. No, no. That guy who thought about heating up milk. That's the guy. <laughs> He's just like that guy. Just right? like him. Jeez Louise. Um, so they're like, you know, do you think there's any chance he's still alive? <laughs> I love the look on Spock's face. Like, seriously? <laughs> he turns around, he shuts up at the same time, too. He shuts off the monitor with the guy's picture on it. Just kind of stares <laughs> at him. He's like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that right in front of his fiance, Jim. Appreciate right. that. I don't know. The, the, this whole scene where everybody's just kind of nervously glancing to the side, like, (laughs) 
we're we're all on the same page. This guy's super dead, right? <laughs> like we're just doing this so Nurse Chapel feels better, right? <laughs> now, what I really like is after that opening shot when we see all the guys with gold shirts. Um. <laughs> Spock walks by and goes down to the command chair and there's nobody at the helm or the navigation stations. It's kind of like as soon as they took orbit, they just gave everyone a half day. Right. It does seem odd that they're heading into a mission and they haven't pulled anybody onto the bridge yet. <laughs> just like, ah, we'll get to it. This is night shift. Nobody cares. Yeah, it's like, eh. And I love that Ahura is just like, um, they're, they're like, hey, Ahura, do you have a signal? And she's looking around like, really? No, I don't have a signal. <laughs> You're talking about a dead guy in a cave. No, I don't have a signal. And then all of a sudden she's like, whoa, holy crap. I have a signal. <laughs> and the look at her is like, because I'm so good at my job. Right. <laughs> she totally had that look like, I hope nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> that was the mute button. <laughs> right. And so, all the reverb. Reaver, yeah. reaver, reaver. I love this. Yes, because you know, Roger sounds like he's calling from a flip phone inside of a cathedral. <laughs> right. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Hello, hello, hello. It's crazy. <laughs> so, of course, he's got to be like, hey, so listen, man, you guys should just beam down. That's, I, I know nobody's ever heard from me and I haven't really said anything in a while. It's been like five years. Everything's totally cool here, though. Come on down. But just you, Kirk. Just yeah. you, Kirk. Nobody else. I don't want to talk to anybody else. So glad you guys showed up. Could really use rescuing, but I just want the captain to come down. Right. Which Spock's whole thing is, it's an unusual request, but I mean, the look on his face is like, oh, that's some BS right there. Amen. <laughs> You're not going to do that, right? I mean. Right. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, uh, Christine, is is that your guy? Is that his voice? And she goes, ah, you've never been engaged. Have you? <laughs> I've, gets- I've also never talked to my fiance through all that much reverb. before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to talking to people on cricket phones. So sometimes, you know right. what? <laughs> she should have been like, you know, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> Some of this gets a little bit weird because with Strange New Worlds, they are rewriting the relationship specifically between Spock, Uhura, and Chapel because all of those characters will, of course, carry on to to uh, the original series. And so at this point, we know that she knows dang well that he has been engaged and he is currently engaged. So I'm taking it that she was just saying it sarcastically to him. Like, you know, she knew the answer to that question. Like, you know, yep. So I do think that um, the, the look on nurse chapel's face kind of tells me that uh, there, there is a correlation between hair size and um, (laughs) character intelligence on this show. Unfortunately, Rand's character tends to be the one that's the worst intelligence wise. And she's got the biggest hair. So somewhere in the middle, we've got nurse chapel. Yeah. Also, that's, a, that's um, a lot of hairspray that, that you got to figure you, you lose a few, a few brain cells. I mean, without much hairspray. Speaking of uh, comic con, I do want to send a shout out. I hope she listens to this episode. I ran into a woman who did a Rand uh, cosplay and she did in fact weave two wigs together to make the Rand basket weave. Oh, and it that was is awesome. Amazing. 
That is awesome. It was so cool. She did say it was one of the worst things she's ever had to do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry to go off topic. Uh, So Kirk is like, hey, listen, Corby, um, I got one other person I'd like to bring, you know, (laughs) if you're cool with it. (laughs) And Christine, Christine says, hello, Roger, doesn't identify herself. And he recognizes her voice right away. Well, it, I mean, haven't you ever been engaged? <laughs> <laughs> but this creates an awesome scene because while they are speaking, the only two people, we, other people we can see on the bridge are a crewman and some sort of officer. She's in an officer uniform. Oh, man. I, this is such a weird scene. <laughs> Okay. I've never noticed this all the times I watched it. I never <laughs> noticed it until I watched it this time. There is a crewman who starts looking and grinning at the at the idea that Christine has found her long lost love. And then there is an officer. I don't know if she's a yeoman. I don't know if she's an ensign. I don't know if she's a lieutenant, but she's in a command gold un- uh, skirt uniform goes up and starts holding his hand and they're smiling at each other and they are just so giddy and happy. Oh. And and they keep getting giddier too. Like the director's <laughs> off screen going, all right, now you see a puppy. Okay. You really love the puppy. Oh no. Now there's two puppies. <laughs> This guy just keeps getting goofier and goofier. I have two theories on this. One theory is that dude is a hundred percent. One of the producer's kid. <laughs> Cause he's like, I, am I on camera? I don't know. <laughs> Where do I look? Okay. I'll just right. look right there. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Cause he is, he is intently looking directly into the camera. <laughs> the, my other, my other possible, uh, a theory here is that this is like um, the DS nine episode where they refilmed everything and brought in the, the more modern characters. <laughs> but when they, when they went back and they remastered this, they just stuck in some people who like won a contest. <laughs> they were actually standing alone in a room and they were like, all right, now you see people getting happy. So you're happy too. What's it your was- favorite Star Trek episode? I can put you in the background of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh that, uh copyright no seatbelts on the bridge i'm just gonna <laughs> oh man uh and then of course when they're like all right let's he's like yeah yeah bring her down and kirk's like all right let's go and as they stand up and they all start heading out the the couple that was looking on adoringly is like oh there they go they're so happy <laughs> But I really like that that Chapel and Uhura like embraced and gave each other little pecks on the cheek. Like, oh my god, I'm so excited for you! <laughs> it was like one of the more the most human points of the whole show. Yes, it actually worked, and I I love this idea that those two actually did have a, a relationship with each other on the ship. That they actually hung out. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, I thought it was really cool, but it was super awkward given the situation. <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool. And they're just like, who are those creepy people? The right. Side? Exactly. <laughs> now, another side note that I wanted to bring up is Chapel's uniform in this is fantastic. So she's wearing, you know, the blue tunic skirt combo. 
but uh, she's got a different style than everybody else. She's got kind of the low cut neck with the the um, the the like stand up collar a little bit. No, so she's she's wearing this this tunic, and the way that it's the way that it closes, it's got a seam that runs curved from the uh, insignia down to the waist or down to the pleats. Then another one that go, that curves down to the waist, another one that curves uh, around her back and another one that curves across the breast. And then the whole thing uh, comes over and it all those curved seams all meet at the insignia. So it looks like it's a rocket ship taking off with like, you know, the, the plume blowing out from underneath it. And the um, insignia basically acts as the clasp for the uniform. It is the coolest ladies uniform that has been on the show yet. They clearly put some time and effort into this one to, you know, give her a set piece, but I, I, I don't, I don't even, I've never seen it's like anywhere else. No, no, I totally agree. Cause it, it was something that I didn't really notice it until watching it this time. And again, watching it on a larger TV, watching, but mm-hmm. um, just the, the way the whole outfit is put together, it, it was difficult to tell exactly what was going on. But it just had such a cool look and uh, cool and unique look that yeah, I yeah I would like to know exactly what went into making that because that was extremely unusual. Yeah, right. Anyway, so back to the story. Christine and Kirk they beam down to a cave with a picture window in it. <laughs> <laughs> so this scene starts with the stock footage of looking out over the tundra. And I don't know if this is Alaska, if this is uh, Antarctica, I don't know. It's just your general snowy, icy landscape. They use this a couple times throughout the series and just for, you know, Oh, look, alien planet. <laughs> alien And then planet. <laughs> they go from that. They fade to, or actually it's not even a fade. It's a snap cut from, this beautiful scene to what is clearly like a Christmas tree snow blanket. (laughs) That's just outside of a window of a cave. Why there's a window under in an underground cave. Who knows? (laughs) There's this whole thing about the aliens going underground, but these aliens really were not interior decorators because if they moved underground, they did absolutely nothing other than, well, there's a hole in the ground. We're going to live there. Oh, that's not true. They put in doorways. <laughs> that's that's true. There diamond are doorways, doorways in the rocks, <laughs> which makes me, the 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 diamond shaped doorways, which somebody said was supposed to be a callback to H.P. Lovecraft for something. But I just assume these aliens had really big butts, and this, so that's the way your doors were shaped. Here, that uh, that could be. I like that. <laughs> I like that. They've got big butts, and they cannot lie. So. The thing that, that really bugs me, though, is that they put in doorways. There is an open, bottomless pit <laughs> with no guardrail, no nothing, but they have doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happened to that entire society. Eventually, they all <laughs> fell down that stupid pit. <laughs> it does seem like they would have been able to put something over the top of that thing, but... Maybe it was one of those things they just liked it. Uh, right. Well, they put a cover on it, but Johnny still fell down that well, so <laughs> we took that cover off. Oh my goodness! 
so Corby's nowhere to be found. So Kirk calls in his security detail and they're unfortunate for them. <laughs> they were all wearing red. Yeah. These are, these are the first two Matthews and Rayburn. These are going to be the guys that they're going to start the great trend. Hmm. Poor guys. <laughs> these are um, great caves though, because they're all spray foam. Oh God. All you can hear is squeak, squeak, squeak. 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 It's so good. Oh my God. I don't know if that's the remaster. Like they pulled in an audio track that wasn't supposed to be there or something, but man, that's all I could hear. I was trying so hard to concentrate on the words they were saying. And all I got was squeak, 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 squeak. Oh man. So Kirk tells one of the guys, Ray Byrne, come with me and tells, or you stay here next to the big window and Matthews will come with me. Now Rayburn is played by Bud Albright who actually died in the man trap as crewman Barnhart. So also known as Mr. Pockets. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> he was Mr. Pockets. Dude. I was so excited. I was looking up Rayburn and I was like, all right, let's see some pictures of what he looked like as <laughs> crewman Barnhart. And as soon as I got Barnhart, I'm like, oh, that's Mr. Pockets dead on the floor. Oh my God. <laughs> I was so happy. <laughs> so Kirk just starts bounding down these. Uh, nobody showed up so far. So he just starts bounding around these caves. Nobody brings a tricorder. They just decide how, how lost could you get in a cave? Well, they decided to check it out by touching everything because for some reason, as they're walking in what is clearly just a big circle around the room, they're just like slowly touching every wall they come in contact with. Even the security guys like touch and then he'd move a little bit, touch, move a little bit, touch. And it's just like, are you miming? What is this? Uh, I also like that at one point, Kirk stops in front of a doorway to a hall (laughs) and and uh, Chapel walks up next to him and the light is shining from underneath them straight onto the wall. And so all you can see is the reflection off of the clearly painted <laughs> piece of wood. <Yes. laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Lighting matters, people. <laughs> so now, then it, they find that big hole was, that we mentioned. Oh, wait. Sorry. Real quick. It, it was actually a continuous shot though. So I have to give them credit where it was due. Oh, Even though yes. they were going in a big circle, the fact that they did this in all one big continuous shot, it actually worked out really well. Their acting was terrible in this <laughs> shot, but the camera guys were doing a fantastic job. Yes. I, I will say that for the little bit of space that they used for these sets, they, they got a lot out of, out of a very little hundred percent. Yeah. Um, which is just kind of a theme with Star Trek. Right. Um, so they do find the big hole that we mentioned. Christine almost falls in the big hole. Now, speaking of our cameramen, we also get a <laughs> gratuitous upskirt of Christine as she almost falls in the hole. Thankfully, she's wearing sports, so it's not too bad. Um, and then a dramatic spotlight shines on Kirk and, and uh, Chapel, and Kirk pulls his phaser out. All right. 100%. That is a 24th century Mark one phaser he's holding on to. Now, after I saw it later, I'm like, no, nah, it looks more like a garage door opener, but still <laughs> he pulls out a little Mark one hand phaser, which I didn't even think was a thing before next gen. I was really shocked. Oh yeah. Yeah. They will pop up a few times. Yeah. Um, 
And then, and uh, incidentally, they also appear to be way more powerful than any other phaser that's ever <laughs> yes. existed on the show. I think that these only have one setting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the only setting they have is oh god. <laughs> what I really really like is the light shines. Kirk pulls out his phaser. Then the guy steps out of the shadows in front of the light, and then the security guy gets his phaser as if, Oh, Oh yeah. Good idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh geez. Sorry. Sorry. Boss didn't see that. It's like, Oh man, did he see? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Oh, Oh, that's, that's my job. Oh, Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, we're going to find out he makes even a bigger mistake. In just a few seconds. Oh, <laughs> so Dr. Brown steps out and it's not the doc Brown. We were all hoping for This is a little different. Marty! <laughs> <laughs> It's your kids, Kirk. Something's <laughs> got to be done about your kids. <laughs> so uh, Brown steps out, and he's he's just a you know gentleman in his forties, <laughs> and he's played by Harry Bosch. Um, Harry Bosch actually uh, passed away only a couple of years ago at the age of ninety four. He did a lot of work, and he actually worked with the director of this film or this uh, episode, James Goldstone, in a number of different movies. Um, Goldstone's probably biggest hit was 1977's Thriller Roller Coaster, and uh, Bosch had a pretty heavy part in that. And then we hear, ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I know a man died, but <laughs> that scream was so good. <laughs> the scream more, all- more like he made a minor mistake as opposed to as he's plummeting <laughs> to his death. <laughs> he screamed like he just saw a mouse. <laughs> Oh, I totally forgot to turn off the gas. Oh, oh my mom's going to kill me. <laughs> oh, man. So they they walk over very lackadaisically, just like, we should go investigate what has what happened. Was that? Oh, look, where is that guy? And Brown's like, well, your guy's not standing right here. And he screams. So clearly he's at the bottom of that pit and dead. <laughs> It's really too bad. Uh, I'm sorry, not the bottom of the pit. He's still falling because it's, it's bottom. bottomless. <laughs> so does that mean that Matthews is actually on the other side of the planet going into space? No, the, uh, the um, Carl Sagan did this on on uh, uh, Cosmos once. You drop the ball, it's going to go ahead and go through the earth. It's going to come out the other side, but gravity's going to grab it eventually. And pull it back the other way, and it's going to keep on going back and forth oh. and back. And well, that forth. sounds pleasant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but that's going to be a, a kind here's of. Here's the question, though: If it's a bottomless pit, how do they have atmosphere in there? Well, as long as it's still within the planet's atmosphere's atmospheric uh, envelope. Hmm. But the thing is, if it's bottomless, you're eventually going to hit the core of the planet, which means they should be like full of lava. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be a problem. This, yeah. Well, that's only if they're going straight through the center. Maybe it's a bottomless pit that uh, goes through the side. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a yeah, yeah. yeah it's a tangent, like the one we just went on. <laughs> <laughs> so all the, of a sudden, actually, the episode goes on a tangent because while they're discussing this, we see a <laughs> giant thing in the background. Now, here's the thing: it's kind of like a mime. It's kind of like a clown. All I know is when you look at the way it's dressed, you know, it's French. And right? That's basically it. Okay. Oh man. So, uh, 
we see our good buddy, Ted Cassidy. Ted Cassidy, anybody who has seen The Addams Family, the old one, knows that Ted Cassidy was gigantic. He's a very tall individual. You will see in a few minutes, his hands are also gigantic. <laughs> and everything about this man is very large. So they thought, you know what we need to do? Let's give him gigantic shoulder pads. Yes. We're going to make him even bigger. And then we're going to paint him up to look like a dummy in a haunted house. (laughs) The weird thing is, as much as bulk as they put on like his arms and his shoulders, because of how big he was, it didn't look like buffoonish. Not in every scene. There are a couple. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But yeah, you're right. It, it, like the dude was that big. Um, and then he like so we're standing there. This guy just fell down a, a hole. We've got three characters looking down the hole, going, "No, oh, that sucks. He's dead." <laughs> and all of a sudden, the, the screen show or flips over to weird giant clown guy <laughs> crab walking sideways up the the walk play. No idea why. Don't know what's going on. This I, is weird. I will say this really highlighted how agile he was for as big as he was, because some of the moves oh, yeah. he does in this thing is like that, that guy actually moves, you know, really well. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he was definitely lithe for his frame. <laughs> so Brown um, tells him, Hey, you know, I'm really sorry. We weren't at the door <laughs> when you rang, you know, we got detained, but then it's odd because <laughs> sorry. <laughs> When you rang. (laughs) (laughs) Reportedly, that was a line that he had lived and they stuck with it. Nice. Because he had no speaking lines whatsoever. And he was like, "Ah, I don't want that. Yeah, right. I want to get paid. (laughs) So So, Brown's delivery is definitely like beep, boop, beep, boop. I'm very (laughs) sorry about your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, he fell down our bottoms (laughs) of the pit. (laughs) We should really do something about that. Maybe we should have a sign. (laughs) And Christine is like, Hey, yo, Brown. No, no. I love that. She calls him Brownie. (laughs) (laughs) Brownie. It's me. (laughs) And and he's like, "Eh, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Christine. How's it going? Hey, I haven't seen you. Accessing database. (laughs) Oh, Christine. It's nice to see you. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry about your dead friend. Yeah, uh, we have refreshments <laughs> in the conference room. Seriously, the delivery on this was oh okay, but this does set the the beginning of a Trek trope, which is the well, you know, he's dead now. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Let's concentrate on the mission. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Kirk seems like kind of annoyed and disappointed, but that's as far as it really gets. Yeah. And that, so, seems, and that seems more like the case of he knows he's going to have to fill out paperwork when he gets back. And he, you know, 100%. I mean, that's that's all kind he of the level about. of annoyance that he has. He's like, man, Spock's going to give me such a rash of crap for this. <laughs> I hate it because this is the one job I can't pass off on the first officer. I right. have to do the death certificates. So Kirk's like, oh, this is maybe not great. I should call my other security guy. So he calls Rayburn. Hey, um, hey, just want to let you know, everything's cool here. We met up with who we were looking for. Um, 
<laughs> oh, uh, Matthews is dead, by the way. Anyway, so just, you know, be cool. <laughs> and Rayburn's like, all right, got it. <laughs> Rayburn seems a little shook, shooken up when he hears about Matthews, but still it's kind of a... Uh, yeah, but shook up like you just dropped a quarter, not not shook up like your friend's dead. <laughs> so yeah, he I mean, so Kirk is on the communicator with Rayburn telling him, making his little security plans, you know, hey, get a security detail set up and ready to beam down, blah, 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 blah. And Rayburn's like, Yeah, cool. And as soon as he hangs up, yeah, the big French mime thing just grabs his face, which unfortunately was like his one weak spot and <laughs> down goes Rayburn. So, but Albright, the guy playing Rayburn is a six foot tall guy. Like he's not small. And that hand comes around the side of his face. Oh man. And Ted Cassidy palms his head. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Holy crap. Like I knew the dude was big, but wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he was six foot nine total. Um, and as you said, he was, uh, uh, lurched down. Fortunately, he passed away in 1979 from complications during open heart surgery. Um, but what I didn't know was that he was, uh, among the, he did, of course, the Blaylock voice in Corbomite Maneuver. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he was the Gorn captain in arena, you know, we will find you, you know? Yep. But um, one of the things I really like is he did the voice on the opening uh, uh, credit sequence for the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I didn't know that one. That. That's real cool. <laughs> and uh, and then he also um, uh, did a lot of the growling for the first couple of years before he passed away. Unfortunately, the really cool thing I found out is that when he played Lurch, the organ playing that he did, that was him. He actually paid wow. his way through college playing organ. Um, at different establishments and he was quite accomplished organ player. That's crazy. I never knew that. Yeah. That was a, that was a totally new one to me. That's really awesome. But seemed to have been a really nice guy. And unfortunately was taken too soon. So there is the pants story also. (laughs) Um, So apparently he um, was in the office doing his uh, screen test with all the makeup and everything. And the producers thought, you know, it's a good way to really test this out and see how scary it is. We got a, 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 a clothing vendor coming in. <laughs> so when he comes in, we're going to have you meet with him. And Ted's like, sure, why not? Apparently, the poor guy was so freaked out by meeting him that he was having a really hard time getting through his pitch. Like he was having trouble <laughs> with words. Um, so... They they finally let him off the hook, and they're like, "Listen, this guy's not scary. He's you know he's just Ted." <laughs> and the guy finally was able to get through it. Roddenberry apparently bought pants from him, so you know whatever. But yeah, they they scared the hell out of this poor guy. <laughs> no, I love I love hearing this sort of story, especially after we started saying Goldstone was never rehired because the episode went two days over shooting. Right. <laughs> we see this stuff. Yeah. You see this kind of stuff. You're like, Hey, Hey, let's see if we can get him to sell us some pants. <laughs> this will be great guys. I really need him on set <laughs> two hours. Okay. No, no, it'll be cool. It'll be cool. Right. I have a, a sneaking suspicion that a lot of these directors went over time, had a lot more to do with, Gene thought this would be funny. Yes. <laughs> anyway. 
so Brown starts telling his story. Oh, and he starts going to this weird, weird uh, theory that Corby had about. Um, so he's talking about the fact that the sun started to fade. And when the sun started to fade, all the people moved from above ground where they were all cool and happy and free. And they went underground and they traded that freedom for a more mechanistic culture. Well, I can tell you they didn't. Again, they didn't trade it for more artistic culture because there is no decoration on any of these walls. <laughs> nope. It is all just cut out of stone and it's real gross. <laughs> it's all so, gray and bland and ick. But he did that kind of scientist thing is like, and see what happened here just proved, proved everything I'm right. All these people moved underground and they just got all screwed up. So that just proves my theory, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that was kind of a leap, but okay. Well, and then he goes with the always lighthearted. It's going to revolutionize the universe. You you know nothing's going to go wrong when somebody's going to change the way the entire universe operates with their newfangled idea. Steve Jobs. <laughs> now, the problem is here is that Brown and and uh, um, Corby are wearing half and half outfits. Well, I guess we haven't met Corby yet. We're still on brown only. He's wearing the half and half outfit. It's half green, half blue. Go Hawks. And yeah, it looks like somebody from the Seahawks <laughs> designed it. And it's like two halves of the outfit that are crossed over each other on this really bizarre, bizarrely cut coveralls. It's so hard to concentrate on what he's saying because I'm like, <laughs> where do those seams go? How does how does that even work? Like that seems really uncomfortable to wear because <laughs> you know, it's cutting them in half in very uncomfortable places. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes where you see Corby moved like turn and you see the way the thing is sewn and you're just like, mm -hmm. yeah, that can't be. That well, can't be and as bad as Brown has it in walks Andrea. <laughs> okay. Now my, my uh, first, when I see this, my first thought is, okay, here's the thing. They had enough blue and green material to make the outfits, but not enough black material that everyone could have a shirt. So unfortunately, that must be Andrea doesn't have a shirt. That's the least gross way we can possibly imagine this way. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrea walks in. She is also wearing a green and blue outfit, but hers is pants with barely boob covering overall straps that go up her chest and cross over to cover her boobs and then go up over her back and are just straps that connect to her waistband. This is not an outfit so much as some kind of young boy's fantasy. <laughs> it's like, it's a, it's more of like a, um, a, a, a gimmick garment almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not great. Um, she, she walks in and, and the first thing you think is she's got to be cold. <laughs> You're underground and you don't have a shirt on. Right. And it's snowy upstairs, so it can't be warm here. <clears throat> anyway, so she walks in and she's a very attractive young woman. And, um, uh, We've only met Brown. We know that Roger is somewhere around here. And Roger's fiance is met face to face with the young, attractive woman who's not wearing any clothes. So she's like, um, 
and who the hell are you? <laughs> and Andrew's like, I love your hair. <laughs> right? You are exactly like he said. <laughs> That's not really how this should go. <laughs> so Andrew was played by Sherry Jackson, and this is kind of an iconic Star Trek character. Um, she would actually work with Shatner again in an episode of Barbary Coast. If you don't know what Barbary Coast is, Google it. Watch an episode. Um, if you don't know what Barbary Coast is, you're like a lot of other people out there. <laughs> uh, she had been on the Danny Thomas show as one of the daughters, as Terry Williams. She spent five seasons on uh, on the Danny Thomas show where Make Room for Daddy. I always get mixed up how that was actually monikered. I, I have to admit, uh, watching... Uh, it was make room for daddy, the Danny Thomas show. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but I watched that quite a bit when I was younger. And so seeing this scene, I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> gross. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> no way. <clears throat> I get you. I totally get you. Fortunately, I had never seen the Danny Thomas show before this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the actual outfit we're talking about actually necessitated, necessitated a sensor be on set to make sure that her boob didn't fly out or there was no side boob or side cleavage or anything like that. So I can imagine, I mean, again, this took two extra days to shoot. I wonder why. Right. <laughs> um, now, interestingly enough, this outfit also did not stop here. Uh, apparently Sherry Jackson uh, decided that she was going to go show off this outfit and she went down to the commissary and it was one of those, like everybody dropped their forks and turned their heads (laughs) kind of moments. Cause you know, you got to think at the time she's walking into a commissary where everybody's wearing suits and you know, wool dresses and she (laughs) walks in and that they're all like, uh, that lady's naked. (laughs) And then at a later science fiction convention, uh, this outfit was displayed on a model and that model apparently got mobbed basically with men trying to date her, including Harlan Ellison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harlan. Good old Harlan. He just he comes is. back time. He's the gift that keeps on giving. I tell you. Isn't he though? He is a laugh. <laughs> oh, Anyway, so Roger box in, sees Christine, and he's like, hey, baby, what's up? <laughs> they start going at it like their plane is going down. Oh, my God. It's real gross. Like, once again, if you want to show your love for someone, crush their face until it hurts. <laughs> so Roger is played by the iconic actor Michael Strong. Uh, Michael passed away in 1980 at the age of 62, um, but was very well known for his role in Patton as uh, General Carver. Yeah. Uh, Also known as Hap. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He was born in 1918 as Cecil Natapoff. His parents actually uh, fled to the U.S. in 1903. Uh, They were uh, running away from the Russian pogroms. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, for being a Russian Jew in the early 1900s was not a place you wanted to be lots of persecution, not like being a Russian Jew has ever really been easy on people for like the last two, 300 years. (laughs) 
Um, he also, uh, aside from being in movies and such, he also had over 120 TV guest appearances too. He, he was never really long term on any of them, but he was on a ton. He was a working actor. He was a working actor. That's <clears throat> work if you can get it. Right. Um, so Brown is like, um, yeah. So one of their guys died and Corby's like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> Kirk's like, yeah, well, stuff happens. <laughs> I mean, the weird thing is, I can't reach the other guy I have in a red shirt. So <laughs> Corby's weird. like, huh, weird. That's strange. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about something else. Um, <laughs> and well, Kirk, Kirk has tried to call uh, the other red shirt. Um, Corby keeps on telling him, hey, 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 no, no, don't call anybody yet. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. <laughs> And finally, it gets to a weird spot where Brown just decides he's going to enforce phone etiquette with a gun. Right. You know, it, this scene reminded me of like uh, a kid in the principal's office. He's like, yeah, fine. Call my parents. And then when the principal picks up the phone, he's like, no, 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 no. But here, you don't understand. Hey, let, let's talk about this first. Okay. <laughs> Not that I've ever been that kid, but still. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, he pulls a gun because, you know, that's where this was clearly heading. <laughs> and then Corby decides, okay, he tells him, hey, it's going to be cool. Nobody's going to get hurt. But he tells Andrea, hey, Andrea, grab Captain Kirk's phaser from him. Would you disarm him? And Jim does what every hero would do. He spins around, uses the young lady as a human shield and holds the phaser past her face. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. I get cringy about some of these shows. Some of them make me laugh. Some of them make me go, that's not okay anymore. This made me actually angry. I was very <laughs> upset with them. This is bonkers. So she disarms Kirk. Kirk grabs her and takes her into his arms and has everything under control because he's using her as a human shield and is pointing a weapon. You know, hero so, stuff. Right. So as soon as he has her in this control and he has now gained the situation, what does he do? He throws her behind him, rolls across the floor and gets behind a desk, leaving his attacker who just took his gun away behind him where for some reason she huddles against the wall and does nothing. <laughs> oh my God. So then Kirk is in a standoff holding a hand phaser against a guy who looks like he's holding a howitzer and they just stare at each other for like a minute. And then finally Kirk is like, you know what? Screw this zap. And he shoots Dr. Brown in the belly. Dr. Brown falls down and guess what? He's a robot. Oh no, I didn't see that coming. So a giant walks in, <laughs> picks up Kirk off the floor, slams him against a wall and holds him in midair. All of this in like two or three seconds. <laughs> this is the most crazy thing I've ever seen. And it makes no sense whatsoever. I, I think, I think Jim Kirk has a compulsion. Um, if he sees the opportunity to roll, oh. he, he can't. He can't it's stop true. himself from doing it. it it's, it's just, true. it's a, you know who else did that? He man. <laughs> and every episode, 
Every episode, He-Man would have to do a somersault to get away from laser fire. <laughs> Every episode. So much so that when I was a kid and I played He-Man, I'd do somersaults. <laughs> My favorite lesson from He-Man is if you can't figure out the answer to get out of whatever situation you're in, start beating the ground as hard as you can. Something good's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to do that as a kid, too, and I didn't understand why nothing ever happened. <laughs> <sighs> so then just to show off a little more <laughs> ruck the giant is going to start parroting everybody else <laughs> the french clown's got a rich little bit it's awesome oh, god <laughs> so he imitates kirk calls the enterprise and tells spock hey you know what we're gonna hang for a couple of days it's cool down here we're looking at some stuff don't worry about us we're just gonna be down here don't call. We'll call you. And remember, you too could have a starring role on the Enterprise Bridge. Because <laughs> now we say we take a look at Spock again, and there's that weird girl from before slowly walking by. And she's got that look on her face like, don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. Don't look at the camera. She's trying so hard to stare at the thing she's holding in her hands. It is so weird and awkward. Oh. She's she's the producer's kid's girlfriend. I, think. <laughs> I anyway. do like when when Rock is doing all this. The warning from Kirby to Kirk is don't do anything or Rock might hurt you. <laughs> Such a dumb it's, line. it's like nothing I can do. Hey, it's it's a giant robot. If you do something, he's just going to I mean, what would I, you I do want to point out? The line is actually Rock may injure you. Yes. <laughs> Which for some reason is so much worse. <laughs> just happens sometimes. He just, you know, <laughs> like, people move, move with turtle. This you know? seems like how humans talk. <laughs> <laughs> so Rock continues and starts just showing off now. He's like, oh yeah, I, I can do this voice. Oh, I can do this voice. And then he does Christine voice. <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. And Corby does not like that. You won't mock Christine. He gets very serious very quickly. Rock kind of gives him a look like, I'll do whatever the heck I want, <laughs> mister. I'm like three feet taller than you. And Kirk gets tricky and, and interjects really quick. Yeah, yeah. And you better do whatever she says, too. Yeah, and right. Gives Corby the side eye. Why wouldn't you allow Christine to order around your robots? What are you so afraid of? Right. See, at that point, as soon as he said that, I would have been like, hey, Christine, you want him to uh, kill all of them and let us go, right? <laughs> that sounds like a lovely idea. Right? I don't know. The, then Corby is all like, you know, hey, listen, this is the, the way of the world. This is the new thing. This is going to be amazing. And... I just, why does every genius evil guy think that? <laughs> that the real problem is they just don't understand how smart I am. I don't get it. <laughs> like if they're so smart, they should be able to figure out this is kind of a wacky idea that nobody's going to like because, you know, I'm killing people. People just don't get it, man. Right? Just because I want to replace people with robots, people get all weird, man. Ooh, you yeah, can't do well. that. You can't say stuff like that. Right? Sung didn't understand either. Jeez Louise. <laughs> On the other side, we did just watch Picard season three recently. Mm-hmm. 
And we can see a lot of the crap that ended up in uh, the Daystrom vault. Like data? Yeah, I can imagine Ruck would have ended up there. If Ruck, had, if Ruck doesn't end up in a million atoms by the end of this episode, Ruck would have been in that thing. That's true. Man, that would have been cool. <laughs> Let me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, if they like just pushed a button and the light came on and he's like, you rang. <laughs> <laughs> now you look like the old ones. <laughs> Come on, Terry. Give us some outtakes. Come on. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Kirk's like, hey, um, does anybody know where Rayburn is? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, okay. Rook can be a little, you know, literal when I give him commands. Okay. <laughs> so you've seen, you've had an Alexa, right? It's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey, Ruck, why don't you keep that guy quiet? Yes, I will keep him quiet. <laughs> I think I jogged him too hard. And while you're doing that, play the doors. <laughs> so Kirk's trying to figure out what's going on because for some reason, Kirk is just not getting this whole concept of androids. I'm not really sure why. I think he's seen robots before, so I'm not really sure why he's so like, you know, wait, you're what now? <laughs> but he's like, so you're, you're like Brown. Not like Brown. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that one really gets now. Kirk knows that he has some sort of uh, emotions. Cause Susie, uh, accuses Ruck of being like Brown. Ruck is not down with that. No, right. no, I'm not like that dude. I'm much I am than that dude. Way older. <laughs> Check out my clothes. You think I dress <laughs> like that? Check out my clothes. So he talks about how he was there since the old ones, that the they were the ones who created him. And all I could picture was Cthulhu sitting at a terminal programming alert. <laughs> it, it made me giggle. I, I just. Oh. <laughs> it is the old ones. <laughs> I don't know. Kirk once again decides, ah, I'm out of here. And Rook just tosses him around for a little bit for fun. Like, seriously, what is Kirk's deal? Does he not get this guy can pick him up? <laughs> <laughs> just had to try. Just had to try it one more time. <laughs> Ugh. So they, so uh, Corby is like, no, Rook, no. And he tries to pull him away from Kirk. But the funny thing about it is that the the pose that that Tim or Ted has decided to do in this moment, <laughs> he looks like Muttley from the Hanna Barbera cartoons, like yeah, <laughs> or like a bad impersonation of Dracula from the thirties. <laughs> He's got his shoulders all hunched up and his hands are all arched, and it's so weird and creepy. <laughs> anyway, so Andrea is going to go visit Christine because you know. Why not? Because I just don't understand how come, you know, you should be so happy because you're back with Roger. Roger's right. so nice. Roger's so cool. I like Roger. Roger's your boyfriend. Why do you get so mad when I say Roger all the time? Yeah, right. Christine's like, the way that she looked her up and down when she walked in the room, like Christine's even got a problem with his outfit. And <laughs> and so when she starts talking about Roger, you can see that her eyes are just like, no, uh-uh. That's my guy. You don't get to talk to him about him like that. So Roger walks in. He's like, oh, crap. Um, 
could you just call me Dr. Corby? Um, that's probably the right way to handle this. Don't call me Roger anymore. I'd re- prefer you call me Daddy D- Doc- D- Dr. Corby. Dr. Corby. Yeah, right. That's, that's, <laughs> let's just go with that. And Andrea walks in and or walks over and says, "By the way, I'm an android." And the music goes, "Dun dun." Never mind. You already knew that. You all got figured that out by yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. This really wasn't a thinker. No, seriously, it was just like, "Come on, really? We we get it." And then, of course, Corby's like, Christine, um, yeah, so she's a robot. No, no, she's just like a total robot. Just- she doesn't do any of that other stuff. <laughs> Christine's like, yeah, sure. You've been alone on a planet and you built a lady. I'm sure that was straight up for for uh, study. I mean, Christine, I can't believe you would even think this. I mean, what man would be attracted to a young brunette barely wearing a shirt who does anything that I ask her to? It's just not my type. I I do like that. Like they're trying so hard to play a little naive in this situation and to have Roger be like, no baby. No, 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 no. I I didn't do nothing. And (laughs) chapel is just like, I am not buying this for one second. And it was, it it tapped into a different type of character for her. That was very visceral. And I thought was very, very good acting on her part. If you remember Roger, you were cheating on your wife when you got got together with me. So, uh, you know, (laughs) yeah, right. Um, and so as an example of how emotionless Andrea is, he's like, Hey, kiss Kirk. I, I do not understand how this demonstrates emotionlessness, (laughs) but whatever. And Kirk's like, she gives him a peck and Kirk's like, okay, cool. What? (laughs) But Jim is totally like, that's, pretty cool uh, i i'm not convinced can we do that again <laughs> but then he goes the whole thing you kiss kirk okay to prove that there was no emotion there now slap kirk and she slaps right. kirk hard kirk does a really good job of holding back the harder mommy impulse which i'm sure he has oh <laughs> so gross just it, it was that kirk really didn't look like that bothered him that much at all <laughs> If there's anybody in the galaxy that's used to being slapped by a woman, I would think it would be James D. Kirk. Right? (laughs) Anyway, so... (laughs) I So, So, Kirk... And the worst part is, is uh, Corby is just smirking the whole time. Just (laughs) greasy. (laughs) Wow. Like, hey, no, no, man. It's all good. Don't worry about it. It's very... um, Matthew McConaughey and Dazed and Confused. <laughs> no, man, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all it. going to be cool. <laughs> right? uh, I get older and the androids stay the same. <laughs> so Jim pretty much challenges Corby and is like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're in so control of all these robots here. How come Brown pulled a gun on me and two of my guys are dead if you're so in control? Uh, don't worry about that. Hey, you want to see something cool? Hey, I'm going to, let's make a clone. What do you say? Hey, Kirk, you want to be a clone? Come on. You want to be a clone? Let's do it. Let's go make you a clone. I love the way this process starts too, because it looks like they took a ice cream cake that's shaped like a man and threw it on top of this, uh, this turntable. 
Dude, seriously, I want to know what that prop was made of because it was so disgusting. <laughs> so for anybody who hasn't seen it, this is a man-shaped prop that Ruck throws onto a turntable that's got a man-shaped cutout in it. But the man-shaped prop is green, slimy, kind of a cakey consistency. <laughs> and it's got no features whatsoever. It's a round head, two stub arms, and legs that maybe go down to the knees. <laughs> it is creepy. <laughs> so he throws this thing. And that's the best part is that it's so floppy and gross. And he <laughs> that's picks the, it up the and floppiness of it. The, the yeah. kind of like stiff, but still. Yeah. Oh, and he throws it onto the turntable and it kind of quivers a little. And <laughs> then he, he latches it down and you're like, oh, what is that? <laughs> Uh, reminds me of uh, the the uh, the replicant in the last Starfighter that uh, that that shows up in the guy's bed and he's all clear and icky and gross and wow. <laughs> the thing anyway. is, it doesn't get any better on the other side of this lazy. No, 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 we'll be then we put naked Kirk over there. <laughs> Kirk on the other side. Uh, a naked Jim Kirk with a bare chest because Gene Roddenberry really did not like men with hairy chests on on film that much. Yeah, he was very against body hair. He had everybody shaved. Which I wonder what the arguments between him and Nimoy ended up being like. I know, right? Nimoy's like, listen, I'm never taking my shirt off around you. You got it? <laughs> um, so anyway, this this lazy Susan is crazy. The crazy lazy Susan. Um, they, so Kirk and Cake Man get get belted in on opposite sides, and they start spinning it. Uh, I would like to point out the lazy Susan is not balanced in any way. <laughs> that sucker wobbles like crazy. And I'm sure it had to be the noisiest contraption. <laughs> they probably had to dub in all the sound from this. <laughs> I, I love the sound. It sounds like my old. Uh, uh, Nord clothes machine uh, when it used to go in the spin cycle. It just sounds like they, were, they did that. <laughs> so there's a little control room off to the side and they put in uh, Ruck and Andrea. Ruck, six foot nine in a giant suit. Andrea, who's maybe five foot, if that, in almost no clothes, they have Ruck reaching for a control knob that's at about the three foot level so that he can control this situation. And they have Andrea reaching at about six feet high to grab <laughs> dials when she's got no control over her clothing. It was really not cool, guys. That was messed up. We're, not, we're, we're seeing some it, of the design flaws. through the reason this society, you know, went down the tubes. Right. And, and I want to point out, this was not cool in the fake world and in the real world. Okay. So Dr. Corby, not cool. Gene and your cronies, not cool. <laughs> anyway, so they turn it up, they start spinning around and as they start getting faster and faster, all I can think is I would have lost my lunch hundred percent. I would not have been able to do this. That was my thought is, is when they actually end it and they, and uh, Kirk goes, I I'm good. As far as I know, it's like, no, in reality, he would be pukey. Right. <laughs> Seriously. When they're, when he, they get done and he goes, uh, Hey, Christine, can you tell me which one's the real one? He, I really wanted Kirk to just be like, <laughs> that one, <laughs> that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So now Roger is going, he's going on and on about, okay, now we spun it really fast. So all of his Kirkness flew off him and onto the cake guy. And now we have to, um, we're going to synchronize their uh, body rhythms. And then we're going to make a copy of his um, memories and his thought process. And we're going to shove that all into the new robot. Yep. And Kirk hears this. And so Kirk comes up with a great plan. Kirk. Yeah, this is, this is a a very Kirk plan to be sure. Um, My, my only possible option here is to make sure that I make the other Kirk as jerky as possible. (laughs) So he, he, they're like, all right, we're going to copy his brain now. And he goes, Spock, you have breed. <laughs> like, starts yelling about Spock over and over again, calling him a half breed. Because it he's was thinking, horrible. You know, in general, I veil my racism pretty well. So that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with overt racism. That's going to tip tick right Spock off that it's not me. He could have also been like, you know, um, I'm very respectful towards women. <laughs> Wouldn't have been nearly as bad. You know, I think I'm going to get into shape. <laughs> right. And then the Android goes on to the enterprise and everybody's like, you know, Kirk came back a much nicer guy. I don't know what to do with This was awesome. Got a racist, yeah. but otherwise. Really nice. <laughs> so anyway, so they, they do the backup and they start restoring it onto the blank floppy. And uh, <laughs> Kirk does his racist bit. <laughs> they, they spin him around real slow so that we can see, oh, look at Kirk. He looks kind of worried. And then we see new Kirk and he's like, hey, what's <laughs> up? I'm totally Kirk. I'm just hanging around on this big round table all naked and stuff. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so we go to the next scene and it's it's Christine. She's in the dinner table or in the, the dining room and in walks Andrea and she's like, Hello. I'm or I, I'm sorry. I have that backwards. Andrea is in the room. Christine walks in and Andrea is like, hello, I am now programmed to please you. <laughs> and this, okay. is, this, is, this is the point where there was probably about, you know, five Cinemax jokes that I, that could be made here. And it's just Ugh. like, you know what? Low hanging no. fruit. Just low no. hanging fruit. <laughs> These guys have already made this gross enough. We don't need to keep it up. <laughs> so I did like the, the plates are very vibrant. This is definitely your RCA is sponsoring your show kind of meal. <laughs> Um, it's either Play-Doh food or carnival peppers. I'm not sure which one, right? It's like carrots and yellow peppers, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, but, and, and maybe some jello there, there definitely was some like gelatinous <laughs> stuff in there too. Anyway. Uh, and Kirk walks in, he's like, Hey, what's up? Let's have some dinner. He sits down. Oh, this is very nice. He doesn't eat a thing, which is of course, odd. Not really that odd. Christine doesn't eat anything either. True. But they start having a conversation and he's like, so isn't that weird what they just did? Jeez. (laughs) That was really strange. But, you know, it's fine. I'm not too worried about it. And she's like, well, aren't you hungry after all of that? And he's like, I don't need to eat because I'm an android. (laughs) You didn't even know. (laughs) Which it is kind of creepy because Roger sends the Android in there to talk to his fiance about, Hey, you know what? If your captain says to betray, you know, betray me, would you do it? And it's like, Ugh. 
Roger, you're just becoming a bigger and bigger creep all the time. And you know right? what? This next scene is even going to prove it because while they're having this discussion and the robot, well, Kirk there says, you know, I'm an Android. The real Kirk shows up. The real Kirk shows up in a green and blue suit with a full shirt on underneath of it. So the theory I had earlier that Andrea just got left out because there wasn't enough material for all the shirts. No, that's wrong. Actually, Roger Corby is a pig. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. Roger Corby, total pig. However, your theory still stands because Kirk did not have a shirt. I did actually notice that while I was watching. He didn't have an undershirt. He did, however, have a full set of coveralls. <laughs> well, that's what, yeah, because Corby's are kind of coveralls too. Yeah, where, his uh, coveralls, are... and he's got a turtleneck underneath. <laughs> so again, Kirk didn't get the shirt, but Kirk also didn't have to wear the little, you know, strappy overalls. Yeah. No, 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 he got coveralls. Just saying. So never yeah. understood that the whole concept of we're going to make women show more, and you're not allowed to see their chest. Men, you're allowed to see their chest and we're going to show less. <laughs> so weird. Anyway. So, <laughs> man, Tangent City. Uh, <laughs> so Kirk walks in. Oh, the other thing was, is that Kirk, uh, E. Kirk, uh, referred to her as nurse again. Uh, instead of calling her Christine uh, or, or Miss Chapel or Nurse Chapel or anything. No, Nurse. This really bugs me that every once in a while they write Kirk doing that. Like when he refers to Scotty as engineer, it just, uh, I don't know why this bugs me so much, but it's like, you don't call somebody their profession, job. <laughs> right? You call them a title or you call them by name. You don't call them a thing. Ugh. Yeah. Like but if, if one of my employees was like, Hey manager, I'd be like, ew, gross. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure there's a lot of other things that other people want to call Kirk, but that's yeah, know, right. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so nurse, we, what is that misogynist? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so Roger starts on his big reveal. Basically, the whole thing is: I want to take this equipment. I want to find some natural materials. I want to start making more androids. And you know what? We can make androids and we can transfer all of your brain and your soul into the android. You can become immortal. Yeah. And Kirk's like, you know who does things like that? Genghis Khan, Nazis, <laughs> Julius Caesar. Ferris Bueller. Wait. No, no. What? He just said no, Ferris. No. Different Ferris. Ferris Wheel? Okay. Uh, it was Wheel. Yeah. Not Bueller. I don't know. And Maltuvis, which I think, man, next time I have a dog. I'm naming Mel Tuvis. That's actually really good, but I still don't get this, this whole statement. Like, why are you naming off all of these people as like, what you're doing is just like them. That is nothing like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just a stretch of a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I don't know. That was just weird. It was like, uh, Oh, now I understand why they made an E Kirk. Cause this Kirk can't argue. <laughs> His arguments are just bonkers. <laughs> Replacing people with androids is like blaming owls for how bad all of my metaphors are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> so, 
Corby now is like, oh yeah, well, imagine this. If we were like, you know, fixing all the humans, what if we just like fixed their programming too and changed who they are and made them better? Mm-hmm. Kirk's like, uh, say what now? <laughs> Nerds like you are going to program all the cool stuff, all the cool stuff, and I'm right. down for that. Can you imagine what I'd be like if you took out all the womanizing? Come on, <laughs> I would be so boring, right? <laughs> and you know the military'd love to get their hands on this crap. <laughs> yeah, when he tells them I could replace fear with joy, it's like, oh, geez, do not right. tell the Pentagon that. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, so while he's going over his master plan, cause this is what you do. You have a super villain and the super villain gives their monologue and while they're giving their monologue, superhero secretly unwraps twine from his chair. I have to admit, I was watching this and I was like, all right, you're in the future, dude. And you're going after string. What's how are you getting out of this with string? <laughs> I like that. Nobody he's doing all this hand motion, but he's obviously not moving his shoulders or right. upper body at all while he's doing it. Cause nobody he's, can see him doing it. Well, and also he's unwrapping the twine that's holding the chair leg together. Yes. I, I really wanted him to like pull that string off and the chair just collapsed. Wow. Into the, you know. <laughs> Nothing. I, I don't. Oh, how'd that happen? <laughs> Maybe uh, clone yourself a couple of decent chairs there, Roger. <laughs> so anyway, somehow he manages to get a fistful of twine secretly. And so Corby is, you know, his, his story is going great. He's like, oh, you know, maybe we could use your ship now that I think about it. You could take us to a planet and we could take over all the people. And But don't tell anybody. We want to keep right? this on the DL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should totally do that. We'll call them Cybomen. Yeah, Cybomen. <laughs> that sounds good. What's the worst that could happen? Right? <laughs> so uh, Kirk jumps up. And he does the most obvious thing. He steps behind a guy and wraps string around his <laughs> neck and starts to strangle him. Even in the future, some of the old classics are just going to come back. I I defy you to get yourself in a situation where you're in a chair with your kidnapper and you're able to pull this maneuver off. Because, <laughs> wow, unless that guy's already asleep, that's pretty impressive, especially with two superhuman androids watching over you. (laughs) You, you know how quick and agile James D. Kirk has always been. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So Ruck is like, no. And Kirk is choking Corby. And Christine's like, don't kill him. (laughs) (laughs) So of course Ruck is like, oh, well, she said I can't kill him. So he, he runs off and he's still, he rock is kind of acting like he's not really, I, I can't, I, I, Christine was saying something, but I can't quite hear her. What was that? Okay. Was that kill some time? I, I, I didn't quite hear. I'm going to go find. I'm Kevin. sorry, but here we go again. Kirk is going to do it again in the same episode. He's got control of the situation. He's yes. got Corby literally by the neck. Yep. And what does he do? He throws Cur- Corby to the side and runs away D- into a where? vulnerable position. <laughs> He's going to, he runs away to where there's, he doesn't right. have a communicator, so he can't reach the ship. Where is he running to? And it's the same hallway he came in. So he knows there's a glass wall at the end of it. He's got a glass wall and a bottomless pit. That's where he's running. 
Good job, Kirk. <laughs> Dude, you need a better plan. <laughs> so he they so Ruck chases him into the hallway and things get real gross real fast because uh-huh. they have relit this gray bumpy hallway in pink and red. So now it looks like we're walking through somebody's upper intestine. <laughs> it is not pretty. <laughs> and it doesn't stop there because Jim Kirk decides to hide in one of the caves and he sees a stalactite that he thinks will make a weapon. Now he breaks the stalactite off. We should talk about something here. All right. In the, in one of the original syndicated airings of this show, because from what I understand, or no, I'm sorry. In one of the non-syndicated, one of the original live airings of the show, the commercial break was not the same as it is in what we just watched. Okay. The, com- the the story that I read was the commercial break is he grabs the stalactite, breaks it off of the ceiling, and then they go to commercial. They come back from commercial, and he is now holding the stalactite in a different way that leaves viewers very unsure about what's going on. <laughs> Let's just say in between the time of when the commercial went to break and when it came back. Um, it is a very phallic <laughs> stalactite. It's it's extremely. It's one of those things of you guys had to notice that when it was happening. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that the camera guys saw it and giggled about it and were like, there's no way this is getting on TV. <laughs> And it super did. <laughs> it super did because we're two days behind and we can't reach this baby. <laughs> <laughs> so he grabs it. It's just a thing. There's a commercial break and then it's a different thing. <laughs> um, also, why is Ruck taller than the doorway? Yes, I, I don't understand that. Bumps his head into the his forehead into the doorway. Right, he's six nine. So the old ones when they built this facility clearly built him. So why didn't they build him small enough to go through the doorway? I'm going to guess that Ruck rebuilt himself over the years. Ruck probably originally started as being, you know, like five foot 10 and he just decided to start rebuilding himself. (laughs) He was reading a comic book and in the back there were an ad for lifts and he was like, Whoa, that seemed like a good idea. What other good parts are in there? (laughs) X-ray vision. That seems awesome. Hey, somebody left Wilt Chamberlain's legs here. I'm going to put those on. So Ruck pretends to be Christine and he goes, <laughs> Kirk, where are you? Kirk. And Kirk's like, well, that seems legit. <laughs> hey, I'm over here. <laughs> and he says, he soon realizes, oh, that was a bad move. Well, also he's holding this stalactite very incorrectly. <laughs> yes. Um, Cause the heavy edge should be. Yeah, the way he's holding it is great for visuals, not great for attacking a giant cyborg. The only thing I can think is he thought he was going to crack Ruck up by showing it to him and get away. He was like, hey, check this out. Uh, (laughs) What does this look like? Uh, Ruck was like, I don't know what that is. I'm going to hit you. (laughs) So Ruck comes around the corner and Kirk attempts to hit him with it and they just end up holding it together. (laughs) Which is even weirder. And then Kirk falls in the hole. <laughs> and, again, it's Jim Kirk. He falls a lot. <laughs> and he's sitting there and he's looking up at Ruck and he's looking at him and you can see the look in his eyes like, yeah, you know what you have to do now, right? And Ruck is looking at him like, 
do not want. <laughs> I'm really just going to. Okay, so what Christine told me was I can't kill Captain Kirk. Okay, but you know what? This idiot is about to just slip off a cliff. Nothing I'm doing. I'm just standing right. here. So he lawyer balls it in his mind a little bit and figures out, you know what? I'm still going to get in trouble if that happens. All right. Oh, right. yeah. And reaches down and pulls Kirk out of the pit. I'm going to guess that whoever wrote this scene has uh, read Isaac Asimov because this very much was like, I shall not harm a human or through my inaction, allow them there to we be go. Harmed. The second, Yeah. The second, is that the, the second, second rule? Or second law? Yeah. So, now we switch back to Kirk on the ship and we're like, wow, that ended quick and strangely. <laughs> and he walks by Spock who is kneeling at a junction with a Jeffrey's tube. Spock right now is in command of the ship. Mm-hmm. And he's walking around with his Wi-Fi clipboard. I, is this a thing where he just doesn't trust anybody else to do the work or is he just that interested in everything? I think that it's night shift and Vulcans don't sleep as long as humans. So Spock was looking for something to do. I'll buy that. It would make sense that that Kirk would come back. The robot Kirk would come back during the night shift to sneak in and out. Makes total sense. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going with. There we go. It's now canon. I totally thought that. It's now canon. He went back at night. So Spock is like, Hey, was that Kirk? As he just walks by and Spock, (laughs) Spock walks down the hall and just lets himself into the captain's quarters. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to do that. <clears throat> yeah. Spock does know the ship really, really well. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So he walks in and uh, Kirk is getting into his safe. The push button safe. Okay. I think this is actually kind of progressive for a sixties uh, idea of what a safe would look like. I mean, if, if somebody, showed me a safe today that had five buttons and you push a certain pattern to get into it. I would say that's like every gun safe that's out there. So makes sense. I mean, that's kind of cool actually, but it was cute. (laughs) Had little flashing lights. Right. So he opens it up and he starts pulling out what appears to be his Pan Am flight book. (laughs) I love this, that he had a leather travel wallet for his, uh, (laughs) his uh, command, uh, Command instructions. I mean, you put that stuff on the computer, you never know when you're going to get hacked. <laughs> I like so, to, <laughs> Kirk is one of those guys. I like to print it all out. I just like to have a print. <laughs> I just like to be safe. Listen, I printed out as much of the internet as I could before we left. <laughs> Doc, we're good. I lose connectivity. Places, I'm covered. I have been places where my communicator has gone low on batteries. Okay. So <laughs> you're going to be very happy if you have printouts at that time. So Spock is like, uh, what are you doing? And Kirk's like, well, you don't understand what I'm doing is, uh, just changing the flight plan. No big deal. You filthy half breed. <laughs> and he walks by and Spock's like, wait, what? And Kirk looks at him like, everything's fine right there's nothing wrong right (laughs) anyway uh, i'm gonna go see (laughs) you it's spock they have the scene where they see spock's face and you can see he's like you know jim's racism is usually more passive and veiled than that something's (laughs) very very wrong (laughs) i the scene had a lot to unpack i mean (laughs) 
Spock really should have been in his bunk. Um, Kirk. Oh man. I love the, the, the way that Kirk is just like, I, I don't understand. Did I, did I do something? <laughs> I don't understand. But my favorite part about this scene is that then they show uh, Kirk as he walks down the hall back to the uh, turbo lift. And this is a scene from another uh, episode. From another episode. This is from uh, the the Man Trap. Because when we watched the Man Trap, I firmly remember commenting on the fact that I really like the camera use in this because it is a hand cam shot where they follow him all the way into oh, the yes. turbo lift and they swing around his head to kind of show what he's looking at and to, to show his consternation face. And I've totally seen that scene before. Also, <laughs> he didn't have anything in his hands anymore. <laughs> he stuck him in the back of his pants. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't want anybody to see what I just stole. <laughs> so the robot Kirk, Android Kirk, brings all the tickets back to uh, Corby. And they go through him and he thinks that, you know, minus, high, minus five looks like a big, big hit. And it looks like exactly what we need. And, you know, I kind of like running the ship. It's kind of cool. Right. He's like, you know, do we really have to put the fleshy guy back in? <laughs> they didn't really notice. <laughs> I know everything he does. I know about his brother. I know about his brother's three sons. I mean, hey, what right. else do I need to know? And me and Spock, man, we get along famously. <laughs> <laughs> That's that half-breed. That good old half-breed. <laughs> right. So then we see Jim laying on his belly in his room. And in comes Andrea. And he's like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> he's, he's gonna attempt the whole james bond thing with a robot here's the thing i don't get though like i he clearly thought he was trying to make a point in this scene and all it really looked like was kirk figured out he could probably hit it with the <laughs> robot i just oh it was so icky and weird so he hops up and he he's like i'm gonna kiss you now and he kisses her and it's like or actually no he tells her to kiss him first and she does like she was told before and then she tries to slap him like she was told before and he's like uh-uh not this time <laughs> so he grabs her hand and then he kisses her and he crushes the hell out of her <laughs> yes like this man must truly love her more than anything else in the world because he crushes her so hard when he moves his hand away from her shoulder, you can see the fingerprints. <laughs> yes. When they pull their faces away, if you look closely, you can actually see her lips are swollen and her makeup is now on him. Yes. Yes. It's bad. <laughs> and Jerry she, Jackson did say in an interview when they did, when they redid these for uh, sci-fi, she, mm -hmm. and I don't know exactly what she meant, but she just said when he kissed me in that scene, he really kissed me. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, and he did, man. He went for the gusto. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was, it was really bizarre. Um, but she gets all flustered and she says the phrase, I'm not for you. So Corby's a liar. Cause he is that guy <laughs> and, uh, and Kirk knew it the whole time, <laughs> right? Kirk knew it the whole time. And he's like, I'm going to prove this. And of course, now that she said, no, she's instantly irresistible to him. And so when she goes out the room, he's like, Nope, I'm going to chase her down. Thankfully, Ruck is a very good bouncer or, <laughs> or whatever he's supposed to be. 
And he's right in the doorway and he's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and picks him up and throws him to the other side of the room. Once again, what did you think he was going to do, Jim? <laughs> so now Kirk starts to do his, you're a computer, but you're acting illogically bit, which I mean, that's one of his, his great strategies. And he really starts going through it with rock. Hey, what happened? What, how long ago was it? What happened to all those other people? And he starts bringing about as, you know, like, you know, Corby's just like those other people you had to get rid of, you know, that Corby, Corby's doing the exact same thing until he finally gets a thing. He's like, yeah, dude, you either have to, you know, you either have to survive or you have to kill him. I mean, you guys did it once before. Right. And that's when, Ruck has right. his epiphany, has his unique like, moment. Well, okay, yeah, you got me. We killed everybody before. <laughs> okay, yeah, and yeah, you're right. We should probably kill Roger, <laughs> but first, I'm going to kill you because <laughs> I'm so happy with what you've told me. I'm going to crush you. Which I always wonder about Jim's strategy on this one. Was he expecting yeah, really not to make it out of this? Because Seriously, like I, I was watching this scene, and I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Not the time. Not the right? time. This is something you tell him from orbit. <laughs> or if Corby's in the room with you. So right? there's <laughs> Nope. He's like, you know, you should really kill all the squishy things. And Ruck's like, that's a great idea. So he picks him up and starts squishing him. <laughs> and I love it. He he just squeezes a little on, on the ribs <laughs> and Shatner's performance of the, ah, my ribs. <laughs> so Ruck has absolutely crushed all of, all of Kirk's ribs. Uh, Kirk has got a punctured lung now. Uh, that's, that's my firm belief. <laughs> and Corby walks in right, right when Ruck's about to finish Kirk off. And Ruck is like, well, you know what? As much as I want to kill this dude, I want to kill you even more. Which I really don't get because all this is based on is like 30 seconds of talking with Kirk. <laughs> like that usually makes people want to kill Kirk more than anybody else. <laughs> but, you know, he's different a strokes. very persuasive gentleman. Right. So uh, Corby takes out a Mark one hand phaser that is apparently the strongest weapon in the universe. <laughs> and he shoots Kurt or Ruck. And he, when he shoots Ruck, he just disappears. <laughs> Disintegration. No, that dude disappeared. That was magic. <laughs> in, that outfit, I love the, in that fresh outfit, that had to be magic. So this is once again, one of those things where the phasers have all kinds of different effects of what, what's going to happen. You never know if it's going to throw sparks, if it's going to melt something, if it's going to blow something up. Ruck is very similar to say a part in a ship. So he really should have exploded because he's made of metal, <laughs> but whatever he dis- he disintegrated and disappeared in a green flash of light. Goodbye, Ruck. We barely right. knew you. <laughs> so uh this is about the time that kirk is like you know what um i'm really in pain and corby's like well let's get you out of here and so they start walking through the door and that's when <laughs> kirk like a cobra attacks <laughs> <laughs> it's like a jungle cat <laughs> so he traps corby's arm in the door 
and Corby punches him, just hauls out and punches him with his one free hand right in the jaw. That's pretty good. I thought was pretty funny. But when Corby gets his hand out of the door, we find out he's another fine product from the people at Sony. He's, <gasps> he's a, a robot? He's a robot. I did not see that coming. <laughs> not one of his maniacal monologues would lead me to believe that he was a robot. <laughs> Not even when he said, imagine if I put my brain into a robot and it would live forever. Oh, well, wait. Who would have no, thought no, that no. the guy you talked about putting your brain into a robot is a guy who put his brain in a robot? <laughs> <laughs> but he ins- They didn't even bother with the suspenseful music. They were just like, yeah, we know you know by now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, finally. Oh, boy. <laughs> We've been waiting for that, that shoe to drop for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and of course roger's like now listen i may be a robot but i'm still me i'm still roger which i'm now still we're me i'm still me i'm still me <laughs> and then for some Two reason he just weeks. starts doing the weird syntax of just ask me to calculate any Dude, you haven't been doing this before. I can right. I can compute. Any, uh, dude, you haven't been doing that. Why are you doing this now? Are you nervous? What is the deal here? Right. Well, so he's he's having trouble talking, but he still just like calmly suddenly walks over, and like uh, Kirk gets a call that that Spock is is there, and like it's going to be okay. We're going to be saved. So Corby just calmly walks over to the wall, pushes a button, is like, "Hey, Andrea." Could you like get a gun? There's bad guys here. <laughs> Everybody's like, "Wow, that's weird." And, and it shows like, Andrea and her little. Do it. <laughs> he's like, "Um, yeah, about that." Work doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> we had a so, mutual agreement that we were going to part ways. You remember that little workroom they were in, where everything was too tall for Andrea and too short for Ruck? Well. They decided to take the phaser that she has to get and, and put it on, on top, top of that cabinet. Side. Yes. So she, she reaches up. Now, the thing is, this bugs me because not only did the showrunners do this to this poor girl, they put it up to where she was going to have to put herself in that position again and just show off flesh. But they also didn't put it where they told her they did. Yes. Because she, she had to, to actually reach, like, around, reach around up there and find it. And then she picked it up and she had to like pinch it to pick it up because it was so deep in the cabinet yeah. well above her. It was just mean. I mean, come on guys. <laughs> so she gets the phaser and she, uh, she walks out of the room and she runs directly into Kirk. <laughs> and, and she tells him, I'm going to kiss you. And Kirk goes, that's not logical. Yeah. <laughs> So she shoots him and destroys him. This, this makes no sense at all. Okay. So, so my question is when Corby was going through the files and deciding what female Android that he wanted to make, did he purposely go through the crazy chick files or did he just happen upon one on accident? I don't think that's fair at all. This is this is not a crazy ex-girlfriend kind of situation. This is look at the way she walks after she shoots him. 
Oh no, 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 no. She's, <laughs> she's definitely got some weird jealousy thing going on here, which she's not supposed to because she has no emotions. Cause otherwise, why would she kiss Kirk? No, this has to do with, he proved he was the robot. He said, don't kiss me. That wouldn't be logical. So she goes, that proves you're the real Kirk and shoots him. That makes no sense. Like what? No, she was, she was, she thought she was being rejected by the real Kirk. That kiss knocked her for a loop. If he said, I don't want to, you really think she was attached to him because of the kiss? That's why, that's why she shot him. Cause he wouldn't, uh, I, I still say it makes no sense. This is bizarre. Wait, okay. Anyway. You're saying the scene in this episode of Star Trek <laughs> makes no sense. I don't know if I can go that far with you, man. I know. I know. <laughs> I've, I've really, I've, I've accepted a lot so far. I should just move on. No, no, the thing, honestly, the thing I love about this is that she, she's very stiffly walks throughout the entire episode until after she shoots Kirk and then she strides away. She, she like, got the strut. <laughs> you know, it's just like, that is a woman who feels very justified and satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> Which is again, she's not supposed to feel that way, but whatever. <laughs> so she walks in the door in the room and immediately sees Kirk standing there and she's like, Oh, oh damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's why he said the illogical thing. I thought he was doing yep. a riff. Ah, oh, oh boy, it's my face red. So she walks in. She's like, "Oh God, what did I do?" And Kirk is like, "Hey, um, <laughs> your robot, robots all seem to be a bit killy, D- yeah, don't you like, think? Is this really what you guys wanted to have have happen here?" And Corby's like, "Does not compute." <laughs> but finally, instead of Jim, we actually have a uh, guest star who gets to finally belt out a line <laughs> while Roger screams, I am Roger Corby. And I'm thinking, you know, I, what? if you have to shout it at people, maybe they're not the ones you're trying to convince. I'm telling you, man, I want that T-shirt. I am Roger <laughs> Corby. <laughs> I might actually make that T-shirt. I want that so bad. <laughs> so yeah he's like oh, i created the perfect being i tested it i proved it And at that point i'm hoping i really hope he's not talking about andrea in that sentence right because <laughs> this has gotten really too creepy in way too many ways i don't know which is which is creepier and weirder if he's talking about andrea or if he's talking about himself <laughs> Oof. point taken this is all creepy and weird right so corby's like no 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 man I, I this is not good here take my phaser and Kirk's like, hey, um, give me your weapon. She's like, no, no. And she grabs onto Corby and she disintegrates them both. So he actually oh. does it. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He reaches down. She, she's holding the gun. He reaches down and grabs it and shoots them both. Because they actually have to reshoot the scene with two other people. The scene of his hand reaching and pulling the trigger on the phaser. Mm-hmm. Because the original cut without that, it was difficult to tell if she shot them, if he shot them, and they wanted it to be clear that he was accepting his fate and oh. taking them out. So they had two other people and uh, come in in the costumes and just shot that one part where you see the hands and he presses the. That makes sense. On the- I can see that. I mean, I just got it wrong. <laughs> 
What are you going to do? <clears throat> so then, Christine starts crying about it. She's like, oh, no, Roger. And Kirk's looking at her like, what? That wasn't really Roger. What's your problem? <laughs> that was Roger bot. <laughs> and then Spock shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Where's Corby? Kirk looks in the camera, and he says, Corby was never here. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun. Now, nah, at that point, there there was no dun, dun, dun. <laughs> even the sound guys were like, we know. You guys got it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the ship for the epilogue. And Christine's like, yeah, I, I guess I'll stay here. Which I didn't, I didn't really understand. Like, was she going to leave? Like, was she that distraught? She was going to be like, yeah, I'm out. Or was she only there because they were looking for him? Or... I don't, yeah, I don't really get I, I, that was a bit they didn't really kind of they didn't really solidify that because it seemed like well right. we've already seen her so she's a part of the crew I think this is one of those things that they expected this to be like episode number two that was yeah. actually episode number four so I think they just kind of got some of their things out of the way that could be. Um, then Spock of course confronts Kirk about referring to him as a half breed and Kirk has to admit that he's a huge share fan. So there's that. I, uh, I, I thought that Spock actually was, was really nice about this. <laughs> he seemed more like he was like, you know, I am not mad, but I am disappointed. <laughs> and if you ever do something like that again, I will take you out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all in all, I I really like this episode. Um, it, it's pretty crazy, it's, but it's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorites, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So next time we're going to talk about the next episode up, which is Miri, uh, which is also a lot of fun. Uh, an Earth-like planet where uh, a disease is taking out all the adults, and it's going to take out all the new adults too. What will happen then? I don't know. <laughs> they may never survive. <laughs> hey, everybody. I, I just want to say thanks to uh, the folks over at Five Year Mission for the use of their song, Beam Down, for our intro and outro. Thank you. Uh, make sure you check them out on their website, fiveyearmission.net. Uh, you're going to find a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each season. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you can also find them on Apple music and on Spotify. Uh, so please check them out and shop around. And please check us out as well. It drops a line on Twitter or check us out on Facebook. There we go. You can find us at, at, uh, no seatbelts pod. And on <laughs> Facebook, we are the no seatbelts on the bridge page. Yay. Anyway, we'll talk to you guys all later. Adios. Thanks, guys.